I'm Kim Schmidt, Executive Editor of Farm Equipment. Welcome to Farm Equipment's Used Equipment Remarketing Roadmaps Podcast. In this episode, brought to you by Iron Solutions, host Casey Seymour of Moving Iron LLC and 21st Century Equipment sits down with Sean Skaggs of Livingston Machinery, an echo dealer in Oklahoma. If this is your first time listening, you can subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and Spotify. By subscribing, you're alerted when each new episode is released. In this episode, Casey and Sean talk about how the rain impacted both planting for Livingston's customers as well as getting some crop harvested, and now they're back in drought-like conditions. They also discuss their outlook for the rest of the year and into 2020 and the replacement cycle for tillage equipment and the used combine market. Today, my guest is Sean Skaggs, and Sean Skaggs is with Livingston Machinery down in, oh, what, probably the western half of Oklahoma and over into the Texas Panhandle. Is that about right? That's correct. Uh, Yeah, we're in western Oklahoma, and they're in the Texas Panhandle. We've got uh, four locations that are spread out kind of in the corners of that area. Right on. You've had a kind of a, a, a just about like everybody else out here. You've had a pretty interesting year with your growers and what that looks like. This fall, you had some planting delays with winter, with winter, with rain and, and those kind of things. Rolled right into this spring with some some more rain on top of that. So, talk about the some of the challenges that you've had so far this year and and what kind of your customer response has been to those challenges. Well, um, you know, the big challenges that we run into had to do with weather, just like with everybody else. Um, we had so much rain back in the spring. We actually ended up getting about twice as much as our annual rainfall there in about a three or four month period. And so we've had tons of rain, lots of flooding like everybody's had. Um, you know, the big effects that it had on our producers are, number one, that they couldn't get in the fields. Uh, whether it be planting corn or planting cotton, they couldn't get in the fields in time to do that. Uh, most of them still ended up getting some kind of crop in there, but it was all put in late. Uh, the other big effect that it had on us was trying to get uh, some crops out of the field. So a lot of our wheat producers were planning on cutting their wheat for hay uh, because of the way that wheat prices were at the time. They felt like they were better off to go ahead and put that into hay. And uh, whenever they got an open window to go in there and cut hay, they'd go in and cut it and think, you know, surely it can't rain forever. But lo and behold, it did. It would come in and rain for two or three weeks after they get their hay cut, and it would just turn it into a big mess out there in the field, and they'd lose that entire hay crop or basically their entire wheat crop by doing that. Um, We also had a lot of producers, you know, alfalfa producers uh, that would go in, and they, they basically lost their first cutting and some of them their second cutting as well. Uh, because of all the rains and just being delayed, and uh, it would just—it just seemed like it would never stop raining there for a while. And then whenever we got to the end of that rainy period, we've now had enough consecutive days without rain and with lots of heat and wind that we're back into drought conditions. Uh, even to the point that our uh, a lot of our producers have planted some summer crops that never even germinated, never came up because we couldn't get them to, to enough moisture. You couldn't plant deep enough to get the moisture. Uh, which is something that I certainly never expected. I thought we'd have enough moisture to last us for two years, but right. uh, not the case. Yeah, You know, the way they've responded to it is uh, a lot of them have went out and purchased hay equipment because hay is the one thing that they can go out and, you know, kind of produce immediately and create some revenue. You know, with all the other challenges that they've got facing them right now, they need to create some cash flow, and one way they can do that is to go out there in, that, in those grass fields and cut some hay, bale it, and then they've got something that they can sell. And in fact, we've seen people uh, that are basically windrowing on the bar ditches. Um, they're bailing up everything they can find right now, and they're also 
know, pushing those machines a lot harder than what they normally do because they've had such a narrow window and because they're trying to get so much done. And so that's really driven our parts and service business as well. So as you take a look at, at what we have coming down the pipe here, so you look at kind of right now moving through, through the end of the year, you know, cattle prices have kind of bounced around all over the place. Obviously, commodity prices have bounced all over the place. It seems like wheat bushels have been good. Protein seems to be on the on the lean side this year. So I guess when you look at those kind of things out there, do you feel pretty positive about moving towards the end of the year? above and beyond what you see happen in the hay market or do you do you feel like there might be some some negative repercussions here of of kind of various uh things kind of headwinds and stuff that we're running into well i mean right now we have no reason to believe that it's not going to still end on a positive note everything still seems to be going positively even beyond our hay sales our tractor sales have, have been up over the last couple of months um really surprisingly so and so right now it looks like everything's going to be positive going into the fall, but I'm, I'm like, uh, you probably are too, Casey, is I'm just kind of waiting for that other shoe to drop because with, they do have so many challenges that they're facing and, and we all know that, you know, all it takes is the wrong tweet or, uh, yeah. or who knows what to, to kind of send this thing tumbling. And so we're kind of trying to stay really cautious and be prepared for that to happen. But we've got great momentum going into the fall. And so we're hoping that that's going to carry through. Uh, you know, one of the things that we did to try and make sure that we were ready for this is we we positioned ourselves, sort of our inventory position, we positioned ourselves really well. Um, we've actually, you know, thinned out a lot of our aged inventory, and our inventory is actually running really lean right now, but we feel better about running lean than we do running heavy, even though there's a lot of opportunity at the moment, just because, like I said earlier, we're just kind of waiting for that other shoe to drop, uh, and whenever it does, and we're not, we don't want to be caught with a lot of inventory on hand that we're going to for a long time. No, I, I think, you know, both and I, both you and I were at the uh, Dealer Mind Summit and we were, you know, I'm sure we had plenty of conversations to, to have with a bunch of folks out there and, and a lot of the same stuff you and I just talked about here. I mean, I think I'm in the same camp as you are. I, I'm cautiously optimistic about, about what happens towards the end of the year and what all that looks like. You know, you just take a look at the grain markets right now. I mean, holy crap, this man, uh, it's been, talk about a roller coaster ride. And over the last three weeks, we had this run up to you know corn for example run up to corn on december contracts up there at 450 452 on the board basis prices have been really aggressive here of late so you know you start looking at some marketing opportunities earlier this year between 415 and 425 in a lot of places so that was a great deal but today's market i mean it's it's bouncing around four bucks so we've lost about 52 cents 50 cents something like that over the uh over the course of the uh the last three weeks, you know, wheat's been doing the same thing, kind of bouncing around. Cattle have been doing the same thing, kind of bouncing around. There's just so much volatility in the marketplace. It's either going to be really, really, really good or really, really, really bad. And I feel like there's not going to be a lot in between. So when you're talking with the with your growers out there and, and your producers out there, what what kind of what kind of sentiments are they giving you? Are they giving you like, hey, you know, we kind of feel positive about what's going on, or is it more that kind of cautious optimism? I think they're most of them are in the camp of cautious optimism. I mean, some of them have, have still through all the challenges have had a pretty good year, um, but they know that uh, the whole thing is just pretty fragile at the moment as far as the ag economy goes, and so they're pretty much cautiously optimistic. Uh, a lot of what's driving them to, to replace things is, is just you know, the fact that they've got a lot of H machines out there. Yeah. There are a lot of uh, producers that normally, you know, would trade machines every year or every other year uh, that have now been sitting on their machines for three and four years. And, 
uh, they're just at the point where they want to go ahead and replace because they don't want the breakdowns. You know, they, they're afraid of what's going to happen if they, or what kind of crops they could lose if they had a, a, a failure with their machine. And so, uh, you know, that replacement cycle has really been a, a driving factor, uh, more so than what I expected. Yep. Uh, people are, are, are really active out there as far as uh, replacing some of the things that they haven't replaced for a long time. You know, tillage equipment is another great example of that. Um, you know, we haven't seen very much activity on tillage equipment over the last three years, uh, but all of a sudden we've got a lot of activity on tillage equipment and even on some seating equipment again. Yep. I will echo those sentiments, man. I'll tell you what, you take a look at what's getting traded in right now, and we've talked about it on there several times, and it feels like everyone's kind of trading in the same thing. They've got, you know, our ranges and, and you know, the, the machines are trading in and things like that. So. I have my concerns about what that looks like coming in towards the end of the year and, and what that does to the markets and those kind of things as far as used equipment go. But you're exactly right on the tillage thing, man. I, there for a while, I don't, it was just we couldn't give away a piece of tillage new. And now we're looking at guys that are really showing up and looking at some different stuff. And I think a lot of guys that we talk with that we have out here are really starting to adopt that, the high-speed, I don't know, high-speed farming, I guess is the best way to put it, you know, whether it's tillage or planting or whatever you know they're, they're trying to do as much as they can as fast as they can and that's really starting to creep into to our kind of lexicon lexicon here lexicon here at uh out here and with we start talking with customers so are you seeing a similar pattern where guys are looking at bigger faster machines or, or has that have you felt that pressure yet in your area we haven't really felt a lot of that pressure yet i mean we are you know, like everybody, we've got a lot of people that are moving more and more towards the, the vertical tills and, and some things like that. And there's a few of those high-speed machines that are creeping into our area, but uh, it's not been as much. You know, I hear a lot about it from uh, from the guys up in the Midwest, and we just haven't heard that same kind of activity on those machines down here. And that may be coming. We all know tillage is a very trendy product, so whatever right. the trend of the day is is what's going to be hot for a few years, but... Um, but I don't think we've seen it as much down here as what they have in a lot of places north of us. The high-speed discs are, are the one thing that I think are going to be something to pay attention to. And it's years like this that we have, you know, whether it was the fall or whether it was the, uh, the winter or, or planting season or whatever it was, when, when there's always a stress time window to get stuff either out of the field or in the field, the demand for, oh, next year I'm definitely buying the high-speed this or I'm buying that or whatever it is that could could have made it easier dur- during that, that window they had, and we're starting to see that. So, you know, planter sales, I think, are up kind of across the board everywhere um, and in certain pockets and, and maybe even nationally, but a lot of that stuff is getting switched over to that, that high-speed thing. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out through the end of the year. That makes a lot of sense. Let, let me ask you, Casey, because you're you're the expert here on uh, used equipment and inventory management. I mean, as like you were saying earlier, we're seeing a lot of the same machines being traded in, right? The, right. the machines that are all in the same age range and the same hour range. You know, what are some of the things that you're doing to try and plan for that to make sure that you don't get caught with way too many of the the same machine. Well, I appreciate you, you calling me an expert, but I'll, I'll have to step out of the room and get the expert to bring him in here because I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm kind of fumbling my way through this myself. But so when I look at this, combines are one of those things that, that I think are on everybody's mind, and, and there always are. If you're in a combine market area, you, you sell a lot of combines. Combines are, are used. Combines are always a top of mind uh, piece of equipment. When I look at those and I see where they're at, 
I, I feel like there is a the market has kind of hit that saturation point. When you look at auctions, for the most part, they're pretty consistent. They've been that way for the past two or three months. They've been pretty consistent about what the auction value is, and no one's really arguing it, right? When someone comes in, you can always tell when when you've hit a new high or a new low because when you come in and say, hey, you know, this is the value, farmers always argue with you about your value, but at the same time, you can tell when they've kind of accepted that value because they don't argue as much or as hard. And I think we've hit that point. So it tells me that that auction value for 12, 13, 14 model combines are, are pretty much where everyone thinks they should be, right? What are we trying to do to offset that? And we talked about it in out there dealer mindset money i think it's the easiest way to do it is you start looking at what are your top units you got to get rid of and, and you start building programs around those i have my reservations about the auction market moving towards the end of the year and what that looks like there could be several of those machines that get pushed into auction um just because of the number that are getting getting turned back in right now in trade um and what that looks like i think you could see a dip in there and there could be a, a bit of a balloon popping i guess for lack of a better term um when you look at that but any that's all speculation uh, to this point. So there's been a, an accelerated amount of uh, inventory on the marketplace for the past 18 months in, in that specific um, hour range, 15, oh, whatever you want to call it, 1,250 separator hour combine up to that 2,000 separator hour combine. And there's been, a, there's been a fair amount of those on the marketplace. And that hasn't really changed. They haven't, they haven't grown and they haven't shrank. They've just kind of been there. So that tells you that there's something going on um, in that area. So I have my concerns about about the end of the year and what auction value looks like. But the same hand, I always have a concern at the end of the year what auction value looks like because that's the peak time that stuff gets put on auction. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out um, and how it moves. I'm still waiting on the Navy to get back to me. I got a self-propelled anchor program I'm trying to implement with them, but they haven't they haven't <laughs> responded like, like I thought they would. But So hopefully that'll go through. But I don't know. It, I think it's just kind of a wait and see thing. I think you have to really kind of measure what you're doing and, and see where you're at and, and make those decisions moving forward. We'll get back to Casey and Sean in a moment, but first a quick word from the company who made this podcast possible. Iron Solutions has deep roots in the ag industry with products for producers, dealers, manufacturers, ag retailers, and service providers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com to see solutions that streamline your operations, improve productivity, reduce cost, and speed your growth. Before we get back to Casey and Sean, here's a quick word from Precision Farming Dealer Managing Editor, Jack Semlicka. I'm Jack Semlicka of Precision Farming Dealer Magazine. If you want to be more successful in precision ag sales, service, and support, join us for the annual Precision Farming Dealer Summit, co-located with the National No-Tillage Conference. Check out more information at precisionsummit.com. Let's get back to Casey and Sean now and their conversation on inventory management and historical sales and having machines priced correctly. Just talking about managing inventory there, I mean, do you, do you kind of look at your historical sales and see what kind of capacity you've got for those kind of machines and put a cap on the number that you're going to create for? Or can you even use historical sales after the last, you know, four or five years that we've been through to tell you very much of anything right now. Yeah, I think us, we've been consistent over the last three years, I mean, within a, an acceptable range anyway, of, of the number of used combines that we sold. We've really been really high or really low comparatively on a on an average scale. So I think we can take a look and easily see where we're going to be at. I don't really think, if anything, we're going to go up this year in used combine sales more than we'll go down. I think we have a better 
probability of selling more than we did last year uh, just because of, of the, the market conditions that we're in and what we're seeing happening. But to your point, if, if, if commodity prices continue to do what they're doing, my fear is that, again, towards the end of the year and then that buying cycle and what that looks like, we could have a mad rush to the door to come in and buy stuff at the end of the year because now all of a sudden we're starting to see that jump. The August crop report is going to have such a huge, a huge deal in what happens with the overall market conditions moving forward through the end of the year. I mean, if that thing comes in and it says, oh, nope, we're right, you know, there's no, there, everything got planned like it should have been planted and there's the prevent plant one is, wasn't what we thought it was going to be and da 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 da. It's going to be so much volatility to the downside. I can't, I mean, we're, we'll probably be worse than where we were at when, when this whole thing started. But if it's the flip of that and you start talking about some guys out there that are talking about 78 million acres of, uh, of harvest and, and the planted acres are, are you know, 81 82 million stuff like that that that's a huge swing from what the usda is saying so if you if you factor that in to what's going to happen and that actually comes out to be the way they see it you're going to see some upward trend and and hold on to your uh your pants there because it's going to take off and run so to manage that inventory for us we got to make sure we have the machines priced correctly moving into the to the to this buying cycle that we're going to start seeing here i mean here it's august 1st so this is one of our peak you know, from now through the end of the year, you start to see that ramp up of, of what that looks like. So we're, we're definitely going to make sure we got things priced correctly. We're going to make sure that we have any hanger-ons out there, that we, we take care of those things and, and cut those uh, safety lines on those machines and, and move things forward. So it's a, it's a multifaceted, you know, inventory management strategy that you have to have. One, looking at what you think is going to happen at the end of the year, and then what is your What's your overall goal? What I mean, how, how are you going to increase your turn and, and how are you going to increase that cash flow into your dealership? So I think I think that's what we're looking at now and, and move and make sure that we've got the right mix of machines in the right spot and then the excess stuff. What are we going to do with it? And that's that's where we're at focusing right now. Yeah, and I think the last thing you said was is something that's really affected us over the last few years is having the right mix of machines. You know, uh, our problems, our biggest problems weren't necessarily the machines that uh, are the bread and butter for our area. Our biggest problems were typically the machines that we took in that were, that either they weren't right, weren't the right mix for our dealership in particular, or weren't the right mix for, uh, for our particular area. Those machines that were just a little bit of an oddball, uh, throughout the last few years, whenever our producers have been in a cash flow crunch, those right. machines all of a sudden are a really big oddball. Yep. And they're really a fish out of water and, and, and a problem and hard to move. So that's one thing that we're trying to do a lot better job of is not end up with those oddball pieces. Yep. And I will say this. I think one one thing that we do, I have a I have a gentleman that works for me, and he, he measures all kinds of stuff for me. And one thing he does is he, he we track on the Internet in each machine category, whether it's combines or real crop tractors or four-wheel drives or whatever it is, the number of units by manufacturer by in an hour range, right? So from zero to 300, how many, you know, whatever, John Deere four-wheel drives and, and, and uh, New Holland four-wheel drives and Case four-wheel drives, how many, how many four-wheel drives are, are going to, are in that mix? Um, and what that, what does that look like? So if there's whatever, a thousand machines that, that are in that mix, how many of them are zero to 300? How many of them are, you know, 300 to 500 and so on and so forth down the line. And it starts to paint a pretty big picture of what that looks like. So you can kind of guess when you start seeing machines that have got five, six, seven thousand hours on them, 
you can kind of get a rough guess of what year those are when you start doing the math of you know typical hour a year type of stuff same with combines same with row crop tractors so on and so forth we start looking at that market segment as a whole and then we compare it to what we see happen in our inventory and then we start making decisions on kind of back to that product mix it's not necessarily the number of units that you have but it's it's what you have that that that's a desirable amount of of a desirable machine whether it be like a combine for example how many machines do you have that are under 500 hours how many machines do you have that are between 500 and 750 and how many do you have that are you know 750 to 1250 and then you start comparing that mix to the mix that you're tracking out here on a, on a north american grand scale and where do you fall into that at and for the most part it's it's the it's the same reflection that you see out there people are trading in on the heavy side of that of the higher houred side and they want the lower the lower model or the lower houred stuff out there and that's that's where you got to figure out that mix and what that mix needs to be and how, how are you going to place yourself in in, in the marketplace and then, then the stuff that you know you can't sell you got to start making some pretty tough decisions about what it is you're going to do with those pieces that's the uh the discipline in in the uh, art of, of used equipment i think well, and that brings to mind uh, something else that uh, that we've seen over the last few years and, and i mean if you guys saw the same thing but for a long time you know the best piece that we could have on the yard was a really low hour late model machine and uh, no matter what you were talking about um if it was low hour and late model those were great machines to have they moved really fast and then whenever the bottom fell out of the market a few years ago that completely shifted and all of a sudden, those machines were really hard to move, and some of your, you know, higher-hour four and five-year-old machines were actually kind of all of a sudden a really desirable machine. And we're starting to see that shift again. And, and now all of a sudden, that low-hour late-model machine has become a really desirable machine again. Have you seen kind of the same thing in your area? Yeah, we're, we're seeing the same thing. I think that you know, real crop tractor under a thousand hours. Is a pretty desirable piece. Five hundred hours or less too is even more desirable, I think, in a lot of in a lot of realms. But yeah, you're right. I mean, there was there was a time where I'll get example. I'll give you a good example. Some of these, uh, <clears throat> like for us, like a nine seven seventy combine, for example, first half of the year, first three months of the year, we could have sold a million of those things. I think if we had them sitting on the lot. And here of late, now that commodity prices have kind of come up a little bit, there's a little more certainty in the marketplace. A lot of folks are looking at the S-series combine, older S-series combines as as that secondary combine or that backup combine, or they're trading their 50 or 60 series combine in and moving up to one of those. Because realistically, they're not that far away on price when you start really looking at the nuts and bolts of, of what you see out there. So it, there, there has been a, a, a definitely a move in, I think, in, in appetite you know of, of what uh of what flavor they're looking for out there right now and it's definitely moved towards the the uh the lower hour end of that that's what we've seen is uh you know and, and it's like you said they're, they're seeing a little bit more stability in the market and i don't even know if it's as much stability in the market as it is stability in their own operations where they right. figured out where their expenses have to be to be profitable now and they've been able to have enough time to make those adjustments and so now they they have a better feel for exactly what they can spend i think Yep. And I think so too. I mean, you take a look at a lot of these guys too. There's opportunities to grow out there right now that weren't there three or four years ago with retirements and, 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 you know, guys just flat up not getting financed and those kind of things. There's a lot of opportunities out there for some guys that have positioned themselves very well over the last three or four years and being conservative about their cash flow and those kind of things that now they have some opportunities to grow. And I think we're seeing that in our area. Are you seeing that down there in your part of the world? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's a ton of consolidation that's going on. 
Um, we've got a lot of uh, older uh, producers that are trying to figure out a way that they can get out, whether that be leasing their land to their neighbor next door or you know farm sale or, or whatever. Um, we're seeing a lot of consolidation out there, and, and it actually, you know, has had us really worried about the huge equipment market because we had started, we've seen for the last few years a, a slow decline in our used equipment sales. And so we were seeing that and seeing all the consolidation in the market and thinking these guys are just getting bigger and they're going to have to have more new machines and they're going to move further and further away from used. So what do we do with used? And then this year comes along and all of a sudden, uh, you know, we sell almost everything used we had on the lot. Yeah. And, you know, cleaned up a lot for us. And, and uh, you know, we were we did a lot to be prepared for that. But at the same time, it was a lot of it was just sheer luck. The market changed and changed in our favor in that regard. Yeah. Um, and so we were able to clean up a lot of that used. But I still, over the long term, I wonder what kind of effect that's going to have on the used market and, and how we're going to have to shift over the next 10 years in order to deal with all the consolidation that goes on. Because whenever there's no you know, small and mid-sized guys left out there and it's all the big guys, it's going to make it pretty tough to move some of those used machines, especially the ones that are in that four- and five-year-old range. Yep, yep, absolutely. And that that's the, one of my biggest concerns we have as well. You know, we've got... We've got farmers in our area that have grown considerably over the last, you know, three, four, five years. And you look and see what land they've taken over, or who's retired and those kind of things. And and unfortunately, a lot of guys that they're that they're now farming their land, they are, those were the guys that were also buying that guy's trade in piece, you know. And so now yeah. we're now we're up against that. And to your point, I think you got a valid point there. And I've talked about it. <clears throat> Aaron and I have talked about that. <clears throat> Excuse me pretty extensively here the last couple of years um and my used equipment manager chad prop we talked about that quite a bit too that what's it look like when you start taking a uh, and you're stepping back and looking at okay so now we've got a guy that would buy one or two of these these used pieces and this guy would buy one or two of those used pieces and he'd buy one and he'd buy one and he'd buy one and we had a pretty good flow going there what's that look like and the other thing we're starting trend line we're starting to see in, in our area is machines have get are getting bigger implements are getting bigger and hydraulic demands are starting to get higher and and just the overall size and weight of what you're looking at i mean you start pulling around a 60 foot air seater in a 600 or 700 bushel cart behind that i mean just just the horsepower you need just to make the thing move is is one thing then you got to add the hydraulic demand on top of that you start running into some different machines than you would normally see out there in the marketplace and then that creates a whole nother animal of well what's a secondary or tertiary market look like for a 60 foot air seater and a 700 bushel cart those are some those are some questions you got to start asking and 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 who that person is going to be so there's a lot of a lot of balls up in the air right now that are when they drop it's going to be amazing to see what that bounce looks like yeah that's something that we've definitely seen as well and usually it happens for us more with kind of the specialty machines um, that we've sold over the years, but uh, you know, definitely, there's some machines out there that you're going to sell new uh, to those guys that are huge or that are custom operators. They're running mm-hmm. those machines 24 hours a day. Yep. But uh, that mid-sized guy who would be the, the next step in the in kind of the train of of that machine's life, they have no use for a machine that size. Right. You know, it's just too big. Yep. And so then you you're you got kind of this albatross and. Even though you try and explain to the customer up front, you know, this machine is, is not going to have a great resale value. It's going to do a great job, and it's going to perform, and it's going to have 
enormous capacity, but whenever you get ready to trade it in, you know, be ready for a high operating cost. Mm-hmm. Um, and but you know, it, everybody still comes into that situation thinking, oh well, that, that may be how it is for everybody else, but it won't be for me. Yeah. And uh, and so it's a tough situation to deal with. Yep, it'll be interesting to see the next five years of agriculture, especially on the equipment side of the business, are going to be be interesting to see what they do, um, just because of. You know, we're still farming the same number of acres. You know, we used, we have some we have some loss out there to some housing developments in urban areas and those kind of things. But in you know rural America and in, in the heart of rural America, we're still farming the same number of acres, whether it's you know crop production or you know cattle production or hog production or whatever it is, we're still doing that. But it's it's under the the size of that farmer is getting bigger, and uh, the more acres are covered, and the more cows they got, and those kind of things. So, um, it's gonna be it's gonna be exciting to see what happens. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I think there's gonna be a good challenge out there, and I think every day we take that step closer to what the kind of a we're resembling and starting to kind of morph into what we see happen in the construction side of the business, where uh, it's just uh, it's a it's a per use basis. You know, there's. Uh, you, I mean, you, you you speak to this, Sean, a little bit, but uh, uh, my opinion of how guys are viewing their equipment right now, it's not the same way it was, you know, 20 years ago. It's a it's a tool that I'm using on my farm to get a job done, and there's not that emotional attachment out there that that we used to see, you know, 10, 15 years ago. It's starting to kind of morph into a a different mindset. Is that a, would you agree with that? Yeah, I would, and I think some of that has to do with uh, almost some some cultural changes or some generational changes. You know, yeah, that's one thing that I've seen as some of these. You know, we kind of I know in our area anyway, there was kind of a generation skip. It was really more my generation uh, skipped in the ones that went back to the farm. You know, you had a right. generation of you had a generation of guys out there that are in their sixties uh, right now, and you got a generation of guys out there that are in their thirties and younger. Right. out there, but that generation that would have been in their 40s and early 50s, uh, there's not very many of those guys out there farming in our area. And that whenever that generation that's in their 30s now came back to the farm, they don't have the same kind of attachment to those machines that the other ones were. They're, they're looking at it more from an economic perspective, and they're, they're, they're analyzing it, like you said, as a tool that they're going to use to get a job done. And, uh, and really, they, I think that generation does a really good job of seeing kind of the big picture of what they're going to do and, and making decisions based more on the big picture and making more financial decisions than emotional decisions that we might have saw from, from some of the previous generation. Yep. Yeah, it's the... Uh they're measuring depreciation and, and overall cost per hour and and all of those those things are, are getting weighed. Not that they didn't get weighed before. I'm not don't don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that it's a they're really diving into what that metric looks like. And they're really cutting cutting out what needs to be cut out and, and, and putting back in what needs to be put back in. So I think there's a there's like, you know, any generational change that you see on the farm. There's always a new, a new mindset that kind of comes into play, and then how we adjust to that it, it, from the industry side is always a is always a challenge, but it's also a fun challenge because you you also change your business and you also change the way you do business, and now you approach your customers and those kind of things. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think we're going to have a have a fun next couple of years here, and and what that looks like, especially with autonomous tractors and and you know working on more automated things on on the farm, whatever it might be. So 
I think it's going to be a fun next uh, next five years. Yeah, I, I love your attitude on that. It's not a problem. It's a challenge. And, it's, and uh, overcoming that challenge is going to be fun. We're going to learn, and we're going to grow yep. in the process. And it's like anything else. You know, growing pains always suck. There's always They hurt. You know, there's always something there that changes or you misstep on something or you miss this or you miss that. But, I mean, hopefully at the end of the day you come out and, and you come out as a bigger – as a better organization and and you uh you know move on to the next challenge and start looking at the future so it's uh it's gonna be fun man looking forward to it absolutely all right sean well i think we've solved most of the world's problems here so anything anything else you want to throw out there before we close this episode of the moving iron podcast down uh nothing else that i can think of that i want to throw out there i just uh, hope everybody has a really good fall and winter and uh, this ag economy starts to solidify and and get back on the rise right on man well sean if folks want to reach out to you and and ask you some questions or pick your brain about what might be going on what's the what's the easiest way for them to contact you or and also maybe check out livingston machinery uh well the easiest way to contact me is uh you know you can email me at uh, at com. Um, you can check out Livingston Machinery at livingstonmachinery.com and uh, don't be afraid to reach out to me on LinkedIn. That's about the only social media place that I'm really active, uh, but I am active on there and uh, love to connect with you on LinkedIn. Right on. And SCAG is, is S-K-A-G-G-S, two Gs. So, Sean, uh, thanks for being on the podcast, man. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, and I'm glad I had an opportunity to catch up with you at the Dealer Mind Summit. Yeah, absolutely. Always a pleasure to talk to you as well, Casey. All right, Sean. Take care of yourself. We'll catch you next time. Thanks, Casey and Sean. We've got even more used equipment remarketing resources that we're sending your way. In addition to this podcast, we're also tapping into Casey's expertise across all our informational channels. If you've got a question for Casey, I encourage you to head over to farm-equipment.com backslash asktheexpert. Submit a question and we'll get Casey's answer to it up on our Ask the Expert blog. Thanks once again to Iron Solutions for sponsoring this series. Iron Solutions provides dealers like you with an array of lifecycle management services that drive sales and profits. The Iron Search and Iron Guide suite of solutions is all about managing each dealership more efficiently and profitably, while Iron Search allows you to directly showcase your used equipment online to a wider universe of buyers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com today. You can keep up with the latest industry news by registering online to receive our free newsletters. Visit www.farm-equipment.com. For Casey and Sean, as well as our entire staff here at Farm Equipment, I'm Kim Schmidt. Thanks for listening.